Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Uh, the title of my message, it has to be hashtag blessed, hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed is a thing, you guys. It is all over the place. Um, and if that doesn't sound familiar to you, it's just because you're not on social media because everyone at some point or another posts some sort of a picture and hashtags it with blessed. And there's all sorts of things. I just collected an assortment just to show you some of the things that people are letting us know they are hashtag blessed about. You're laughing because you've seen this, right? Some of you are like, oh, shoot, that's my post. You know what I mean? Like, you feel uncomfortable, right? You're like, you're wanting to show other people like this amazing thing that you got or acquired or are doing that you think is going to make them a little bit jealous. And uh, don't deny it. It's how we do, right? You're like, this steak looks amazing because you know, those people are at home eating their Kraft mac and cheese over the sink with their kids, not having a good time. And you're just like, look at what I'm doing, you know? Or you go on a vacation, right? And you post a picture of this like impossible place that everybody else would love to save up and go once in their lifetime. And um, you, you did go there on credit and you'll be paying it off until you retire. Uh, you don't put that in the post, but you just let people know how blessed you are that you're gonna be in this environment for the next six days, right? Or that you acquired this amazing clothing item that's really rare that you wanna get your hands on. Um, maybe it's a pair of shoes, maybe it's like uh, a certain shirt, or maybe you're more interested in posting about how good you look shirtless. You know what I mean? Like, like, look at these abs, right? These, like this, look at what I have done or accomplished. Look at how amazing uh, I am. Like, look at this incredible thirst trap, hashtag blessed. And you know, you've seen this stuff out there. In fact, these are just screen grabs from Pastor Nate's Instagram. They're all from the same person. I'm not trying to like, you know, make him feel weird. And I don't know if those are his abs or just aspirational abs, but either way, well done, my friend. Well done. And this is sort of a representation of what a lot of us think about when we think about the idea of being blessed, because our society sees blessed as getting what you want, having more than you need, and attracting the admiration of others. This is like the bullseye for us. That's how you would know if you were blessed, if this thing that you have sort of been lusting after finally falls into your lap. If uh, instead of just getting by, you have so much more than you need. If when other people look at your life or your stuff or your experiences, they're like, oh man, I'm a little bit jealous. Now we wouldn't actually admit that we want to make people jealous, but we do. We definitely do. It feels good when somebody's looking at our life and isn't like, oh, sucks to be you. We want them to look at our life and be like, wow, incredible. Must be nice, right? That person is so blessed. Look at what they've got, like what they've been able to do. I wish I had that. And after we see what someone has, the typical thing we do is we want to know how they got it. And a lot of times we, you know, especially if we assume that they don't deserve it, right? In fact, the more we think that person doesn't deserve that thing, the more we assume that maybe God gave it to them, right? We're just like, I can't explain it. God must have done it. 
because I don't like them. So the only way they could have done that, they didn't earn it. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it must be a gift from God. And, uh, you know, there is a sort of a biblical reason underneath that. James, the brother of Jesus, communicates this idea in this way. He says this in uh, the first chapter of his book, whatever is good and perfect is a gift from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. And the idea here is if there's good in your life, God was involved. And this is just a good thing to remind yourself on a consistent basis, that if there is good in your life, God was involved. And this is true. The question is, what does good actually mean? Like if you get to a place where you can like buy whatever you want in excess and a lot of people envy you, does that mean you're blessed? Some people think so, but not everyone. And this is what I think is interesting. Often those who have the most agree with that idea the least. There's this story in uh, Matthew chapter 19 that's often nicknamed the rich young ruler where this guy comes up to Jesus and he's very wealthy and he asks what he needs to do to enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you dip into the context of what he's actually saying here, you realize he's not asking how to get into heaven later. He's asking um, Jesus essentially, how can I live a rich and satisfying life in the here and now? Because he's satisfied in the, he's, he's successful in the eyes of his culture, but his soul is unsettled. And he's wondering like, why do I feel so empty when I have so much? I'm confused. Jesus, can you help me? And we all know people like this, right? We all know people who seem to have it all, but don't seem all that happy or fulfilled as a result. And I think what it does to us is we look at those people, their dissatisfaction is disorienting to us because we're convinced that if I had what they had, I would feel blessed, so why don't they? And the reason we think this is because we assume that being blessed is always accompanied by tangible signs of material success. But is that true? Is that really always the case? In one of Jesus' sermons, he gives all these examples of what being blessed looks like, and none of them fit this assumption. Um, I'll just read you some highlights. It says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse, starting in verse 3. He says, Blessed are those who are poor and realize their need for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Right, The kingdom of heaven the experience of a rich and satisfying and fulfilling life, this thing that the rich young ruler is after, somehow the people who are poor and realize their need for God are tapping into it. Interesting. Then he goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn, those who are humble, those who are merciful, those who are persecuted for doing right. And everyone who is listening then is thinking the same thing you're thinking now. What are you talking about? That can't be right. Most of them couldn't even get past the, the, the first line, right? Like, how is that even possible? How can you be poor and blessed at the same time? Now, when we read this, we could read too much into it, right? We could make the assumption that all poor people are blessed. And so if you want to be blessed, just get as poor as possible. But actually, that turns out not to be all that accurate either, 
There's this uh, piece of wisdom literature, book of Proverbs, chapter 19, verse 7. It gives us like another aspect of, of what it can be and feel like to be poor. It says this, poor people are avoided by their whole family. Their friends avoid them even more. The poor person runs after friends to beg them for help, but they can't be found. That does not sound like a blessing. Unless you just really don't like your family. But why would you not like your friends? Confusing. This doesn't sound great. Like being someone who's made so many bad financial decisions that it's sort of come to define your reputation and all of your friends and family avoid you and refuse to help you because you are a bad bet. No, thank you. I don't want that life. So here's sort of what all this um, is pointing to, the conundrum that it's sort of establishing for us when it comes to being truly blessed. And I put this on a graph just so that it's like easy to see. There's all these possibilities, right? It's possible to be poor and blessed and wealthy and blessed. It's also possible to be poor and not blessed and wealthy and not blessed. And most of us who are looking at this are just like, I know which box I would like to be in. <laughs> if this is a quiz, my answer, it's not difficult. God, if you're listening, I will take the upper right-hand corner, <laughs> wealthy and blessed, right? And here's what's so crazy. We are so fixated on our desire to achieve the upper right-hand corner that we would actually rather roll the dice and possibly end up in the bottom right-hand corner than end up in the upper left-hand corner. I mean, if I have to choose, <laughs> I mean, of course, I want to be wealthy and blessed. But I mean, my second choice, don't tell anyone, would be wealthy and not blessed. And, and this, for a lot of us, is sort of the confusion around this subject. Because here's the truth. When we look at this grid, like what all of, of this and the, the wisdom in Scripture about being blessed is pointing to foundationally is that living blessed isn't really based on how much you have, but how you view and what you do with what you have. And this is why, biblically, you can be blessed with a lot or a little. And I want to dig into this idea by dissecting this parable that Jesus once told and we're going to spend some time doing this together. If you want to look ahead, it's in the book of Matthew. Um, but I want you to understand that basically a parable, just to give you some context, is a simple short story told to make a more sophisticated principle understandable and unforgettable. And so that's what Jesus is doing. He, he sort of makes up this story, and he's a master storyteller. And it seems a little bit off the wall, and yet it's not really about what it looks like it's about. It's about something deeper. And we're going to try and figure out together what that thing could possibly be. This is found in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. This is Jesus talking, and he says, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip, and he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags to another, and one bag to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. Also, I just think it's cool that he's giving out bags of silver. That's kind of fun, right? <laughs> and then he disappears on a long trip. Now, Jesus doesn't get at this, but this sounds like a very like a piratey story to me, right? 
could the man of the story be Long John Silver? I don't know. But he is giving out bags of silver and then going on a voyage. You decide. Okay, I'm just throwing out possibilities. So the story begins with a man that is entrusting his money to other people. And I would argue that this is the most important piece of information in this entire illustration, that he didn't give it to them, he didn't loan it to them, he entrusted it to them, because ultimately it's his, not theirs. Even after he hands it off to them, it's still his, not theirs, and they're told to steward it well. Now, that is not really a word that we use much anymore, this word steward, right? Um, except for on a cruise, right? If you've been on a cruise, you entrust your luggage to a steward, right? You don't give it to them. You, you don't loan it to them. You entrust them with what's yours, and you expect for them to take care of it on your behalf and to make sure that it goes where it's supposed to go. Imagine, like, if you gave your luggage to the steward, and later you're walking around on the upper deck, and you come across that steward, and he is going through your luggage, just opening up, just like digging through stuff, like, ooh, yeah. Or you pass them, and they are wearing your clothes. And you just be like, whoa, 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 hey, whoa, whoa. <laughs> hold up a second, okay? Why are you wearing my Hawaiian print shirt and my bikini bottoms? Why? What are you doing? And, and if they were like, <laughs> you gave it to me, you would be like, I mean, not to keep, to steward. You were supposed to put it in my room for me. You were supposed to take care of it on my behalf. This is sort of the concept that Jesus is unpacking in this story that he's telling. And so I reiterate this because if you don't understand who owns what in this story, it's not gonna make sense to you. And in fact, I would argue that if you don't know who owns what in your story, it's not gonna make sense to you in the long run either. And so here's what happens. Verse 16, it says, the servant who received the five bags began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag dug a hole and buried it, which again is one more point in the case of the pirate theme because now we have buried treasure, you guys. I'm just saying. Verse 19, it says, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account for how they had used his money. Now, just real quick, just to reiterate, make sure you guys are tracking. Whose money is this? The master's. So calling someone to give an account, by the way, is like a bible way of saying, he asked them, what did you do with what you had? What did you do with what you had? Not what would you have done if you would have gotten more, which is probably what you actually deserved. Not what were you planning to do, but just hadn't gotten to yet. What did you do with what you had? Did you make the most of it? Are you proud of the effort that you invested into it? Did you steward it well for the one who actually owns it? In Matthew chapter 25, Going on into verse 20, it says, the servant entrusted with the five bags came forward with five more and the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, which is funny because he got the most, right? And so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then a party ensues, obviously. And 
as happens a lot in ancient stories, there's this folkloric, did I say that right? Folkloric rule of three. And that, this means that there's a pattern that gets repeated and then disrupted. And the same thing happens with the guy who is given the two bags. Like he brings the two more and he presents it and the master's like, great job. And they celebrate and then he gives him more. Because apparently this master has way more to give than what he'd entrusted just to these three. Now remember, a parable is always about something more than it's about. In fact, it's usually about us. It's about me and you. And so if you want to get the most out of it, it helps to ask two really important questions, at least two. And the first one is, who is God in the story? Because he's normally somewhere in there. And the second question to ask is, who am I in the story? Because you're usually in there somewhere too. And I would tell you that I I probably can't answer the second question for you, but I can answer the first. God is the master in the story, the one who owns everything, the one who has way more than what he happens to give you access to. And he's looking to reward people who can be trusted. So who does that make you? One of the servants. You know who I don't want to be? The one bad guy. I don't want to be the guy who just gets the one bag. And here's why. It does not go good for this guy. Matthew chapter 25, verse 24 says, then the servant with the one bag came and said, master, I knew you were a harsh man and I was afraid to lose your money. So I hit it. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest. This is very practical. By the way, I, I want to just point this out. and go, go home and like reread this again and again and just notice there is no evidence in the story that the master was a harsh man who mistreats his servants at all. He says, I know you were a harsh man. And he goes on and he gives reasons for this. And none of these reasons actually seem consistent with who the master actually is. And in fact, this one servant is the only one in the story who sees him this way. And this is what's crazy to me. His belief that something bad was bound to happen causes him to do things that directly cause the bad thing he doesn't want to happen to happen. And then his explanation is, it's not my fault. This, you got to blame the mean master for this one. Except the master wasn't mean. What actually happened is this guy's paranoia produced a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because what you think about things is actually more powerful than the way things actually are. Your mind is incredibly powerful. But also, just to give them the benefit of the doubt, if, if I was the one bag guy, I would have thought, of course the master's mean. He only gave me one bag, which is not fair. And I would argue that it's not fair because fairness is not the point here. They all got different amounts. In fact, the beginning of the story, did you notice it said that the master gave them, each of them, in proportion to their abilities? And guess what? And this may just be a heartbreaker to you. We're not all five bag people. Some of you are like, I can think of a lot of people who are not five-bag people. I'll be real with you. I'm not a five-bag person. 
I'm like two and a quarter at best. (laughs) That's not really the point of the story. According to the story, though, what we find is that the best way to prove that you can handle more is to make a difference with what you have instead of imagining what you would do with what you should have. And this is where a lot of us waste our lives. We're like, well, I mean, obviously I only got one bag. I can't do anything with one bag. Not in this economy. (laughs) It's dumb and and it's stupid because I know the guy who got the two bags. I'm like way better than him. That guy's an idiot. It's not fair that he got two. And don't even get me started on the five bag guy. He's so arrogant. I hate him. I really hate, I mean, if I would have gotten that, man, the things I could have done. And the master's like, but you didn't do anything of substance with what I gave you. So why would I give you more? You know what's funny though? No matter how much we have, we all think it'd be way easier to honor God if we had something else. Isn't that weird? Because the truth is, we, all of us, we live our lives on this sort of spectrum from absence to abundance. Absence being like we're in great need. Like we don't have as much as other people. In fact, we barely have enough to cover our bases. And abundance just being like we have way more than we need. And all of us fall somewhere along this spectrum. But let me tell you the secret, because if you're on the low end, you're like, oh man, it'd be so much easier to do great things for God and honor him with my life and resources if I had a whole lot more. And the people who have a lot are just like, man, I have so much and just maintaining the lifestyle and the pressure on me and the people I'm trying to take, uh, it's so much. And I, like the temptation is so, and they're just like, man, if I had less, it'd be so much easier to honor God with what I have. And the, the real secret is that no matter where you fall on the spectrum, it's hard. You know why? Because it, existing anywhere along this line requires the one thing that is really difficult for us to give, trust. No matter where you are, you still have to trust God with what you have. And that's tough for a lot of us because most of us have trust issues, especially when it comes to money. And this is why um, one Old Testament writer prayed not to end up on either end of the spectrum. He's just like, God, just put me somewhere in the, like, the lower side of the middle. This is exactly what he says. This is Proverbs chapter 30. Verses, starting verse eight, says this, God, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Because if I grow rich, I may deny you. And if I'm poor, I may steal and insult your name. In other words, he's like, if I have too much, I'm gonna forget, I know myself. I'm gonna forget that it came from you and ultimately belongs to you. And I'm not gonna use it to serve your purposes. I'm gonna use it to serve my purposes. And I don't know if I can handle that temptation. So don't give me too much. But also don't give me too little because if that happens, I know myself, I'll get panicked and paranoid and I'll hoard it and I'll hide it. And I, you know, I will, I'll be convinced that I have to because I don't trust you to actually take care of me. No matter where we are, it's still a test of trust. And this is why money is difficult to handle and to view correctly. 
It's why it's difficult for us to adjust our paradigms and our practices around money properly because no matter where we exist on the spectrum, it's tough. Which, which makes this thing that the Apostle Paul says, one of the first Christians, this claim that he has, it just, I think it's one of the most incredible things you could claim in all of Scripture. He says this. This is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He says this. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I don't know how to, I, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation because I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Like we like to use this verse out of context on lots of things, lots of things that probably we can't do, right? It's like, well, you know, I can't, I, I could never go for that job. You know, I can do all things through Christ. I could never confront this. I can do all things through Christ. And like, that's great. But like in this context, what is, what is he actually saying that God is so powerful? Do you know what God can actually do? The most impossible thing in the entire world. God can actually, with his strength, not even gonna believe this. God can help you be content no matter how much you have. This is why it's so astounding because most of us in here are just like content. I've heard the word, but I don't know that I've ever felt it, experienced it, tapped into it. Tell me more about this mystery of contentment, right? We just, we just, we, we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to feel good about where we are and what we have. It's the ultimate miracle that God could perform in our lives, I think, in a modern Western culture. The gift, the supernatural gift of contentment and trust, no matter how much or little we have. In other words, what Paul is really saying here is the thing that we already said earlier, that living blessed isn't based on how much you have, but how you view and what you do with what you have. It's living with a sense of satisfaction and wholeness and peace. All of the things that are missing in the rich young ruler's life, even though he has so much, when he goes to Jesus, he's like, how do I tap into satisfaction and wholeness and peace? Being blessed is, is being able to enjoy and find contentment in all sorts of situations. Living open-handedly with everything that you have because you understand it's not yours, it's God's. And you exist to honor the master. You're a steward. So how do we, how do, we do this? How do we actually keep this focus? How do we stay in this headspace? Because it's really hard. How do we cultivate the kind of contentment that the apostle Paul is saying is out there for us and is the key to the life that we're looking for. How do we do that? I have no idea. Let's close in prayer. Lord, no, I'm just kidding. What a horrible place to end. I want to suggest two practices, and they both come from the life of Paul. Um, because I just think like if he felt that he was able to connect with God and, and actually tap into this thing that we're all desperate for, how did he do it? Let's just steal his secret sauce and just do that thing. And here's the two practices that, that he leverages to do this. Gratitude and generosity. Gratitude and generosity. And I want to unpack like sort of how he sees these two ideas. The, the first is inspired by something he says about um, 
being in a state of absence, like in his own life. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. He says this about him and his friends in this moment in their life. We are poor, but we give. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Interesting, right? You ever been so upset because you don't have what you wanted? And then you slow down and look around and realize that what you do have is everything that you needed. I think the moment where we experience this the most is like, if someone has a near-death experience, suddenly all the stuff that they wanted but don't have, doesn't become, it becomes unimportant. And suddenly they're just so grateful for everything they do have. Interesting. And, and essentially what Paul is saying here is instead of focusing on what you don't have, start listing out and thanking God for what you do have. Do that thing. And even when you don't have that much determined to make a difference with whatever you've got, invite God to show you how to use your money, your energy, your expertise to build his kingdom. And then in another letter, Paul gives this advice to people in a season of abundance. He says this, 2 Corinthians, or this is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. That's interesting. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So essentially what he's saying is like, if you have all your bases covered, which by the way, in the New Testament literally meant you have one change of clothes, you aren't starving and you sleep indoors. So the bar was pretty low. And in their mind, in the minds of the New Testament authors, if you had any more than that, you're rich, which means you guys are all rich. Interesting. And then he immediately says, but don't feel guilty about it. That's not what this is about. Who gave you those riches? God. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And he wants you to enjoy it. But understand that the biggest reason you have more than you need is so that you can use it to do good for others. And when you do that, you will realize, oh, this is what blessed feels like. Leveraging the extra I have to meet the needs and to do good in the lives of others. Because a blessed life isn't built on consumption and comparison, but contribution. It's about leveraging what God has given you to better the world around you. And so this is the question that I have for you. What practices might you need to implement to move toward a mindset of gratitude and generosity, because the absence of these things make us incredibly self-centered and self-focused. An absence of, of, of gratitude and generosity, no matter where you are on the spectrum between absence and abundance, will begin to rot you from within. And you'll bury, you'll hide, you'll hoard what you have. 
And when God comes to you and says, what did you do with what you have? You'll make excuses. You'll point to what he should have given you that he didn't. You'll make accusations at him about who he is that don't reflect his character. You'll accuse him of cheating you because what you're doing is projecting onto him the fact that you've cheated him. But here's the reality. It's not that you really cheated him. It's that you cheated you. You cheated yourself out of the life you most want. So here's my suggestion in terms of a practice or a couple practices to maybe turn this around for you. I would try praying these two simple prayers every day for the next two weeks. And you write it down, take a picture of it, however you want to sort of remember this. The first one is this. God, thank you for entrusting me with, and then give your list. Go in as much detail as you give, the better. And I want to encourage you to pray this out loud. That doesn't have to be other people there. You don't have to get a megaphone to do this on the street. You just say it out loud, like in your room, right? Um, in, in your car. God, thank you so much for entrusting me, not giving me, not loaning me, entrusting me. Thank you for entrusting me with the skill set that I have that you allowed me and encouraged me and blessed me to develop. Thank you for like what I, whatever you have, a house, a car, a paycheck, energy, time. Begin to remind yourself that it is a gift from God and you're grateful for it. That if it was taken from you tomorrow, there'd be a hole because it was a gift and you really truly are grateful. And the second prayer I would encourage you to pray is this, God, how do you want me to use what you've entrusted to me to point people to you? And then I would go back through that list. God, how do you want me to use my relationships, my skill set? How do you want me to direct my savings account, my paycheck, my energy, my time? Because generosity is a posture, not a line item. God, all of it's yours. I'm just a steward. What do you want me to do with it? But here's the thing that I will tell you. If you do pray these prayers, it might get weird because if you ask God the second question, there's a chance he might answer you. And there's a chance that that answer might involve you being open-handed with something that you become pretty tight-fisted with. But I would tell you, seeing and stewarding all you have as if it is God's is a deeply satisfying way to live. You know why? It has the benefit of being true. And when you align your life with what is ultimately and actually true, that's blessing. That's what it is to actually be hashtag blessed, which may or may not include Nate's abs. And what I want to pray into your life today is that as you pray these prayers, as you think about these concepts that God would give you the ability to change your perspective on the stuff that you see as yours and realize that it's actually all his. And I want to pray that God would do that for you because if we believe Paul, that sort of a thing is such a big miracle 
We can only do it with the strength of God on our side. Would you bow your heads across this room as I just pray this into our hearts and lives today? God, thank you so much for all that you have given us. God, you really have blessed all of us. All of us have good things in our lives. We've got incredible relationships. We've got a spiritual community that cares about us, takes care of us. Um, God, most of us in here, we've got a change of clothes. We're not starving. And we sleep indoors. We have more than we need. God, some of us are in a season where we are unarguably in a moment of abundance. Others of us, we really, truly, we have ended up in a hole in our lives and, and we don't have what we need in this season. And we are paranoid and nervous. We're in a season of absence. And God, I pray that wherever we are on this spectrum, that you would give us the ability to trust you. God, help us this week to lean into practices of gratitude and generosity, regardless of how much or little we have. And God, may we begin to feel truly blessed when we begin to see all of our resources and steward them as if they were yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.